My friends, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 10. If you're visiting with us, welcome again. We're glad that you're here. Our practice as a church is to start in the first book of a Bible, of the book, book of the Bible, and then preach all the way through to the end of that book. Um, so we're in the Gospel according to Luke right now. Gospel according to Luke chapter 10 is where we're going to be at. And we're finishing out the chapter this morning. So as you turn there, you'll notice that this is a short passage. It's a short passage, but a significant one when it comes to discipleship. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. 38 to 42. The story of Martha and her sister Mary. So follow along with me now as we read from God's Word. This is what the Holy Spirit says to the church, beginning in verse 38 of Luke chapter 10. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village... And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord given to us for our good. Let's pray now and ask God to bless the reading and the preaching of his word. Let's pray. Father, we need your help today. We ask for grace that we would be able to hear the word of God with ears of faith. And that we would be able to respond, Father, with trust and obedience to You where You call us to live uh, according to the Scriptures. We thank You that You are a God who speaks, a God who reveals Himself. You are not a God who remains silent. And You have revealed Yourself, Father, clearly and fully in the Word of God. And so we pray, Father, for grace to listen and respond to Your Word. I pray that You would keep me from error. Lord, help me to be faithful to the words of the Bible here. Lord, and give Your people discernment. May we all hold fast to the things that are true. Trusting God that that is how You hold fast to us through Your Word applied by Your Holy Spirit. We ask for Your help now. In Jesus' name, Amen. Several years ago, I read an article that asked this question. What is the greatest hindrance toward cultivating community in a church? That's a good question, I think. What is the greatest hindrance towards cultivating community in a church? And the answer that the article put forward might surprise you. The answer wasn't the creeping effects of secularism. And the answer wasn't the divisiveness that so often accompanies our hyper-connected world. No, the answer that this article gave was busyness. Busyness. A frenetic approach to life that keeps us from investing in the things that take time and intentionality to cultivate busyness. And that's true, isn't it? You guys still hear the feedback? Is it ringing out there? All right. Don't have any more of is time. And so I, I would say that that article was, was spot on, but I would make one, one small addition. 
It's not just community that is hindered by all the busyness of life. It's every aspect of the Christian life that's hindered. Every aspect is interrupted and distracted by all the busyness. Even the most foundational calling for the Christian to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Even that most foundational of callings takes the one thing that we are simply unable to spare. Time. We're distracted by so many good things that we can't seem to slow down for the main thing. And friends, that's where today's passage speaks with some much-needed wisdom. It's hard to envision a timelier text for days like ours. Here we find Jesus confronting the exact issue that we've just been talking about. Two sisters, Martha and Mary, welcome Jesus to their home. One sister is busy with preparation, while the other sister quietly spends her time with Jesus. And that's really a summary view of the passage, friends. In a few verses, in just a few verses, Luke draws a masterful contrast between two ways of life. One way of life is taken up with so many good things that it misses the best thing. While the other way is just the opposite. The other way of life, the one that is simple and quiet, that way of life focuses on the one thing and receives Jesus' Jesus' commendation. So it's a timely passage, isn't it? It's timely. For folks like us who live all of our days on the margins, there is a world of wisdom found in the contrast between the two sisters. So let's look now at the details of the passage. It's important for you to note where this short scene falls in the flow of Luke's Gospel. Jesus, you remember, is on the road to Jerusalem where He will suffer and die for the salvation of His people. And on the road to Jerusalem, Jesus continues to teach about discipleship. What it means to follow the Lord by faith. Last week, you may recall, Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan which was prompted by the lawyer who asked the question, who is my neighbor? Remember that? You may also remember that the lawyer, the lawyer already knew the answer. He already knew what the law required. He knew that the greatest commandment was to love God, and he knew that the second commandment was like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. He already knew the answer. And so the parable of the Good Samaritan was the illustration of the second commandment. What does it mean to love your neighbor? Listen to the parable of the Good Samaritan. The parable illustrated the commandment to love your neighbor. Well, today's passage picks up at the exact same point, And now, this text is the illustration of the first and greatest commandment. What does it mean to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Mary shows us. Mary shows us. So the two passages, the Good Samaritan and Martha and Mary, the two passages should be taken together and they give us a well-rounded picture of discipleship. Yes, love your neighbor as yourself, but that's the second commandment. The first is this one thing. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what we learn from Jesus today, that there's really this one thing that is necessary. So in terms of an outline, our approach is pretty simple. There are three figures in this passage, Mary, Martha, and Jesus. And so we're going to note an example from each one of them. An example from Mary, Martha, and Jesus that focuses on discipleship, then distraction, and then finally, patience. 
So let's begin in verses 38 and 39 where Mary's life shows us the priority of discipleship. The priority of discipleship. Luke gives us the setting in verse 38 as Jesus enters a village where Martha welcomes the Lord to her home. That's an important point, friends. Martha welcomes Jesus. Think back to earlier in chapter 10 when Jesus sent out the 72 messengers. He told them to stay with those who welcomed them. Those who received the good news of the kingdom of God. Well, here in verse 38, Martha is an example of such a warm reception. She welcomes the Lord. This is significant because later in the passage, Jesus is going to correct her. But even as He corrects her, He does so in the context of discipleship. Martha is not an adversary to Jesus. She's not an opponent to the Lord. She welcomes Him. So she too is on the road of discipleship. She's seeking to follow the Lord. But at the outset of the text, the focus is on Mary rather than Martha. Before we learn what Martha is doing, we get to see Mary, who is presented here as an exemplary disciple. Notice where we find Mary, verse 39. And Martha had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to His teaching. Now, on the one hand, it's a bit surprising that we find Mary in this position. In Jesus' day, you did not typically find women sitting at the feet of a teacher listening to what He had to say. This may be a bit surprising. But at the same time, perhaps it's not as surprising as we might think that it is. Friends, consider the tenor of Jesus' ministry so far. Throughout Luke's Gospel, we find Jesus doing the unexpected and calling the unexpected. His first disciples were fishermen, not religious experts. He seems to really enjoy spending time with tax collectors and sinners, not religious people. Even the passage just before this one. It's a Samaritan who is the commendable example. Not an Israelite. You see, all of Jesus' ministry is unexpected. So yes, according to the customs of the day, it's unusual that Mary would be here. And yet, at the same time, it's not all that unusual. It's not all that unusual. This fits with what we see in Jesus' ministry. As Rodrigo read to us from Colossians chapter 3 earlier, in Jesus' king, Jesus kingdom, the focus is not on external things like ethnicity or class or gender. Jesus' disciples are defined as those who hear the Word of God and respond to it. That's who belongs to Jesus. And friends, that's what should stand out most prominently about Mary. It's not that she breaks cultural customs. It's that she's committed to hearing Jesus' Word. This is what defines a disciple. This is the example that Mary sets. To be a disciple of Jesus is to hear and trust and treasure His Word. That's the example. So I want you to notice two, two words in particular in verse 39. Look there in verse 39. Note the words listen and teaching. Listen and teaching. What did Mary do? She listened to His teaching. She heard Jesus' Word. Those are the significant points in verse 39. Listen and teaching. Now, when you zoom out and you look for those two words, listen and teaching, in other places in Luke's Gospel, what you find is a pretty stirring list of commendable examples. So take, for example, Luke chapter 5. 
Jesus' first disciples are those who listen to His teaching and follow it. A disciple is someone who responds to Jesus' Word. Or think about Luke chapter 8 in the parable of the sower. The good soil is the one that listens to Jesus' Word and then does it. So fruitfulness comes from responding to the Word of God. Or again, Luke chapter 8, when Jesus is asked, who are your mother and your brothers and your sisters? He says, it's those who listen to My teaching and obey it. Or Luke chapter 11, when someone declares to Jesus what true blessedness is, and Jesus corrects them by saying, no, true blessedness is those who listen to My teaching and respond. Those who hear My Word and do it. Do you hear the theme, friends? Listen and teaching. Hear the Word. That's the heartbeat of discipleship. That's the heartbeat of following Jesus. And it's what Mary models here in verse 39. She listens to Jesus' teaching. And so I would describe Mary's example like this. The, the context of the passage appears to be a dinner. As we're going to see in just a moment, there's a lot of activity and there's a lot that needs to get done. And yet, what is Mary hungry for? Not a well-prepared meal, as delicious as that might be. Mary is hungry to hear the Word of the Lord. That's the takeaway. Mary is hungry to hear the Word of the Lord. That's what marks disciples. They are people who are hungry to hear the Word of God. In fact, disciples put away all other concerns in order to hear and trust and treasure the Word of Jesus. Friends, is that how you think of God's Word? As the food that you need for spiritual life and growth? Jesus Himself in Luke chapter 4 quotes the Old Testament and says that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Mary gets that. Do you? Do I? Food, as you know, is necessary for life. We don't make a practice of skipping meals because if we did, we would eventually start to break down. We would lose strength and stamina and we wouldn't have the fuel that we need to live and work each day. So we don't try to live without our daily bread, but how often do we try to live without God's Word? Think of that word necessary. Do you view God's Word as necessary? As indispensable to your spiritual health? Not only is food necessary though, it's also satisfying. Food is satisfying. Laura made a delicious meal on Wednesday night this past week and I ate way too much of it because it was good. It was satisfying. At the end of it, there was this sense of like, oh, man, that tasted good. Friends, God's Word is like that as well. It's satisfying to the soul. When the Christian comes hungry to the Bible and eats from God's Word, there's this sense in which your heart can say, yes, that's good. It's satisfying. Listen, that's what stands out the most about Mary in this passage. Notice that she is not having an internal struggle about what to do. She's not debating, do I want to go do all the other stuff or do I want to sit here and listen to Jesus? There's no debate. She's just with Jesus. Why? Because she's so enthralled with the Word of the Lord that there's nothing else to do. She has no doubt. Why would I go anywhere else? You see, for disciples... That's the nature of God's Word. Not only is it necessary, it's also satisfying. It tastes good and it gives life to your soul. Do you believe that, friends? Do you believe that today? 
The best case that I can make for you to build your life on the Word of God is not an argument from discipline. It's not an argument from duty. It's an argument from satisfaction. It's an argument from joy, from life, from souls that are full of the treasure that is God's Word. The most profoundly joyful and satisfied Christians I have ever met in my life are the ones whose lives are most deeply anchored in God's Word. They're the ones like Mary who put aside all other things and just feast on what God has to say. Friends, if your heart is hungry today for something more than the frenetic life of this world, then go to God's Word. If your discipleship seems weak or lacking strength, then go to God's Word. Friends, if you know, if you know that your walk with the Lord is struggling, why would you stay away from the thing that gives it life? The Word of God. Go to God's Word. Make your priority hearing the Lord in the Scriptures and then treasuring what He says. That's the priority of discipleship. That's the practice that all disciples make. It's to hear and trust and treasure the Word of the Lord. We listen to what He says. Now, as compelling as I hope Mary's example is, the reality is that we probably have as much to learn from Martha as we do from Mary. Like we said at the outset, life is very full, just like it was for Martha in verse 40. And so from Martha's life, we see this second lesson for disciples. It's the danger of distraction. Mary shows us the priority of discipleship. Martha shows us the danger of distraction. Verse 40 presents the situation in very clear relief. Martha is quite busy, which produces some frustration that spills over into a complaint. Notice again verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to serve? Tell her then to help me. It's not hard to imagine what has happened here. Jesus is a guest in Martha's home, so as you would expect, she's focused on the preparations for his visit, which very likely included a meal. But the problem, at least according to Martha, is that she's doing all the serving by herself. (laughs) You can hear the frustration in her voice. It's almost accusatory. Do you not care, Jesus, that I'm doing everything and Martha's doing nothing, or Mary's doing nothing? Tell her to help me. But in running herself ragged, notice what Martha is not doing. It's a simple observation, friends, but it's important. Notice what Martha is not doing. She's not sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to His teaching. She complains about Mary, but that's not really the issue. The issue is that Martha misses the main thing because she's caught up with so many other things. Now, at this point, it's important that we clarify and remind ourselves that Martha is distracted with good things. (laughs) It's good to show hospitality to Jesus. It's good to desire to serve Him. It's good to provide a meal. This is really important, friends. What keeps Martha from Jesus is not something immoral or evil or wicked. That's not the case at all. What distracts Martha is rightly defined something good. She's taken up with a lot of good things. And that's precisely what makes the distraction so dangerous. It's subtle, isn't it? Dark and sinister things stand in stark contrast to the things of God. 
And so therefore, the danger that they pose is much clearer to spot. It's right there. And you see like dark and sinister things. You're like, I don't want to go there. That, that's dangerous. But it's the good things that we make into ultimate things. That's where the danger of distraction comes in. It's subtle. It's subtle. Good things that become ultimate things. So notice what Jesus says in verse 41. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Now that's a picture of life in 2020, isn't it? Anxious and troubled. You could just write that as the theme for the year. Anxious and troubled. That's life. How many of us can relate to that? Probably most of us. Anxious and troubled. The idea here is to be unduly concerned with the needs of the moment. You are controlled by all the stuff of the tyrannically urgent right now. It's an attitude that's disproportionately focused on many things, which in turn leads you to miss the one thing. It's an approach to life that piles up all of the areas of service, but in doing so, ends up missing the meaning that ought to shape that service. Right? It's being in the grip of the tyrannically urgent right now. I got all this stuff that I have to do. That's what Jesus means by anxious and troubled. Martha misses the one thing because she's distracted and troubled by many things. Let me try to give you an example of what this might look like in our, in our lives today. I use my phone as my alarm clock in the morning. So every day when I wake up, I have to pick up my phone and turn my alarm off. What else do I have on my phone? Rodrigo said everything, but uh, the, the real answer here is my email. I have my email on my phone, right? So whenever I pick up my phone to turn off my alarm, it's very natural for me to then do what? Check my email, because checking my email is what busy, important people do. And very often, when I check my email, I'm made aware of some need or some opportunity that could use my attention. This, this is, these are not bad things, mind you. These are good things. Sometimes they're hard, and sometimes I know that it, there's going to be a lot of work involved in meeting the need, but the needs are not immoral or wicked or evil. Very often, these are good ways for me to serve other people. And yet, checking my email there first thing also changes the outlook on my day, doesn't it? I mean, think about it. What's now framing my perspective on the rest of the day? All of those things that I have to do. All of those needs that I have to address. And more often than not, the reality is that before my feet even hit the floor, I'm a bit anxious and troubled about all the stuff that I have to get done. All the things that I need to do. In fact, my entire day, I haven't even gotten out of bed yet. My entire day takes on this very urgent, very immediate, let's go, got to get things done, got to keep moving, I got all this stuff that I got to do. And here's the problem. That mindset does not fit, does not allow for purposeful reflection on the Word of God. That mindset tends to dull my ability to meditate on the Scriptures. Sure, I still read the Bible, but what am I really thinking about as I'm reading Jeremiah 52? What am I really thinking about? That meeting that I have to set up? Or that conversation that I have to have? Or that email that I have to answer? Or those umpteen other things that today simply demands that I have to get done right now? 
And so, with a mind that's full of anxiety and trouble, notice what happens. God's Word goes in one ear and out the other. It's it's not that I'm resisting God. It's not that I'm opposed to Him or angry with Him or trying to hide from Him. It's just that I've got a lot of other good things I need to get to, Lord. So let's get to them. And by trying to get to the good things, I end up missing the one thing. Can you relate to that? Maybe it's not email. Maybe it's something else in your life. But can you relate to that? I'm, I'm sure that you can because this is how distraction works. This is how... Our hearts are so often drawn away. Very subtly, we give our focus to good things only to find that good things can very quickly become ultimate things that obscure the one thing. It could be trying to just to do too much. It could be trying to do things perfectly. It could be living at the margins because there are so many opportunities for good stuff. Or it could be comparing yourself to other people whom you admire and then trying to do all the things that they do because their lives look so good. Whatever the specific, friends, the reality is that many of us are like Martha. Many of us are like Martha. We're anxious and troubled about many things. Most of them good. And therefore, we're like ships that have lost our ballast in the sea. We're so easily unsettled. We're tossed to and fro, quick to complain. All the while, we're missing the one thing that would keep us steady. The one thing that would give us some bearings. Because we've had many things become ultimate things that obscure the one thing. So what do anxious Marthas need? What's the remedy for troubled hearts that have turned so many good things into ultimate things? Well, the answer, friends, is in the third and final point in the text. We need to see and respond to the patience of the Lord. We need to see and respond to the patience of the Lord. The first thing that ought to get your attention in verse 41 is that Jesus is incredibly patient and tenderhearted. Look again, verse 41. Remember, Martha has essentially accused Jesus of not caring about her. So Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you were anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Friends, the repetition of Martha's name is a tender-hearted response. It's, it's an indication of Jesus' kindness and of His care. He's the good shepherd, Remember? He's the good shepherd. And so when one of his sheep is troubled, Jesus' first step is not to chide them or to heap more burdens upon them. Jesus' first step is patience. He's tenderhearted. Listen, friends, we can't be reminded of this enough. I wonder if this is one of the things that we forget most often as believers. If you're a Christian... Today, if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, if you're repenting of your sins and trusting in Christ alone for eternal life, if you're a Christian this morning, then Jesus' inclination towards you is always, always, always one of kindness. Always. His disposition is always patience. There's never a moment where he goes, oh gosh, again? He doesn't do that. Yes, He corrects us. Don't misunderstand me. He corrects us. He leads us to see the things that we can't see, just as He's going to do with Martha. But even when He corrects you, friends, even when He corrects you, the Lord does so with infinite patience. 
Infinite patience. He's tender-hearted. He is kind towards His people. And that should be an encouragement for us to come to Him in times of need. Listen to me. One of the most sinister lies that the evil one tells a Christian is that it's the lie that the Lord Jesus doesn't care about you. One of the most sinister lies is the evil one telling you that Jesus doesn't take seriously your troubles. Don't believe that lie, friends. Don't believe that lie. The cross where Jesus took upon Himself your sins is the ultimate indication of Jesus' commitment to your good. How how committed is He? He shed His own blood. On your behalf, He's infinitely patient. He's infinitely kind. His disposition is always tender-hearted. So when you find yourself anxious and troubled and then you start to think, oh, but I don't want to disappoint the Lord. That's from the evil one. Come to Him. Come to Him. What we see here with Martha is a living example of Jesus' patient, tender-hearted, kind care for His people. And that means you can come to Him with confidence and He will not cast you out. That's not all we should note from Jesus' response. He's patient with Martha, but that patience then takes the form of giving her an invitation. Now the invitation is also a correction, but nonetheless... Jesus invites Martha to think differently about her life. Notice once more Jesus' words. Verse 41 and on into verse 42. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. That's, That's the correction. That's the correction. Jesus is telling Martha, you don't have to be hung up on the many things even when they're good. Live for the one thing. It's an invitation to her to think differently about her life. Live for this one thing. Which of course raises the question, what is this one thing? Well, the the commendation of Mary is the answer. That's the answer. What's the one thing that's necessary? It's what Mary has chosen. Mary has chosen the good portion. Mary has chosen the best dish, as one scholar translates it. She's chosen to commune with the Lord, listen to His teaching, and respond to His Word. That's the one thing, friends. To love God by feasting on His Word in faith. And this one thing will not be taken from Mary. Friends, that's an invitation from the Lord to Martha. Jesus is calling her to embrace what we might call the simplicity or even the freedom of the life of faith. Martha does not have to live this anxious, troubled life. She can simply and faithfully prioritize communion with God. She she can think about her life differently and then live differently. Jesus is saying, the meal is already spread before you, Martha. The meal is already here. The feast is already here. Come and join us. Come and feast with us. And find your satisfaction here in what I have given. It's an invitation to her. I want to be clear, though, on this point. I don't want us to misunderstand Jesus. When He says that you can live for this one thing, this is not Jesus' way of saying that we can ignore all of our other responsibilities and just focus on on spiritual matters. Do you hear me on that? This is not Jesus advocating for a monastic withdrawal that skips out on the stuff of life. That's not what Jesus is saying. Rather, this is Jesus reminding us that when we live for the one thing, all of the other good things 
stay in their proper place. When we live for the one thing, when we prioritize communion with God, all of those other good things are put in a fresh and right perspective. Listen, the reality is at the core, the Christian life does have an incredible simplicity that ought to lead to freedom for the believer. The Christian life is marked by a kind of simplicity that ought to lead to freedom for the Christian. We feed on God's Word. We commune with God in prayer. We fellowship with the saints in worship. And we serve in the places where God has placed us. Our homes, our churches, our jobs. We do those things faithfully over the long haul. And that's the Christian life, friends. That's what it means to walk by faith. There's an incredible simplicity that ought to then lead to freedom for the Christian. When we are rightly focused first on knowing the Lord, our hearts are then prepared to entrust all of the other cares of life to Him as well. So I I used an, an image earlier of a ship without a ballast. And I want to come back to that here. A ballast is what keeps a ship steady so that it can sail. The ballast is the weight that holds the ship on course and gives it the freedom to to navigate. A ship without a ballast just goes wherever the current of the moment takes it. You can have the best intentions of the world. You can have the best sails, the best navigator. But if there's no ballast in your ship, you're not going to sail in the right direction. Ships need a ballast in order to be free to navigate. For Christians, communion with God through His Word is the ballast of the Christian life. It's what holds us on course and gives us the freedom to navigate all the other good things that we encounter in the world. Communion with God through His Word. That's the commitment that frees us to be faithful with all the good things, but at the same time keeps us on course so that those good things don't become ultimate things. All of that to say, the whole sermon, just to get to this point, all of that to say, there's an invitation in this text for anxious, troubled Christians. There's an invitation here, and it's the call to just embrace the simplicity of the Christian life. The simplicity that leads to freedom and even greater faithfulness in the things that matter. There's an invitation. Embrace this simplicity. So we say it so often from this pulpit, and we're going to say it again, press on to know the Lord through His Word. That's it. That's that's the life. Press on to know God through His Word. Communing with Him in the Scriptures. Fellowshipping with Him in prayer. Working together in the life of the church for the glorification of Christ. And serving in the places where God has you. Press on to know Him through His Word is where He calls you to live. There's an incredible simplicity if we will listen to the patient, tender-hearted correction of the Lord. Friends, oftentimes we're anxious and troubled because we're just letting all the good things become ultimate things and it's obscuring the one thing. Jesus is saying, live for that one thing. Communion with Me through My Word. And when the times of trouble come and we do get distracted, which we will. Remember how the Lord dealt with Martha. He's patient. He's patient. He's kind. He's tenderhearted. As you come to Him and to His Word by faith, 
He will provide what you need and He will hold us steady through His Word so that we will be able to walk by faith and live for this one thing, which is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we do thank You for the clarity of Your Word. We thank You, God, for calling us to lay aside what oftentimes are good things that we have made into ultimate things. And to remember again, Father, that the first and greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when we live that way, Father, there is a a freedom that enables us to pursue faithfully these other opportunities, but in the right perspective. Help us, God. Help us, Father, to lay aside the anxieties and troubles of this life and to entrust them to you and to commune with you through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let us stand and sing together as we close.